Hey, we've been going through the Old Testament. We're up to 2 Samuel chapter 10. In the last chapter, David was showing kindness to Jonathan's son, as you remember. And in our passage today, David is going to continue to show compassion for someone else. But this time, things aren't going to go as well. Uh, When you put these two chapters together, chapters 9 and 10, you see that in both chapters, David showed compassion. He's got consistent heart of showing compassion. In one situation, it turned out to be a blessing, and in the other, it's going to turn out to be a disaster. So it's very interesting as we see these back to back. So what's the difference in the two chapters then? You know, why does one seem to go so well and the other one seem to go so wrong? In chapter 9, David has a lot more control over the situation. So as it turned out to be a tremendous blessing for Jonathan's son. But in chapter 10, the situation was not under David's control. And some outside forces end up getting involved. So we can learn from these chapters, you know, that we're to show compassion to people. And sometimes it turns out as a blessing for someone, but at other times it's going to turn out bad. And that's just the way it is. You know, but don't let that stop you from showing compassion to people. Sometimes the end result is just out of our control. So don't beat yourself up when that happens, you know, and on the other hand, don't stop being compassionate towards people. So let's jump into our our passage in chapter 10 and down to verse 1. It happened after this that the king of the people of Ammon died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the people, people of Ammon. So David, he, his desire is he wanted to show kindness to this, this young guy who's now the new king. Okay, And uh, we're not sure. He said he wants to do it because uh, his dad showed kindness to David. We don't have that story in the scripture, whatever that was. Uh, We assume that it was probably during the time that David was on the run from King Saul. And uh, this king, who King Saul went after one time, they got in a a scuffle there, uh, he probably took David in and helped him hide. That's, That's the speculation we have. But whatever it was, because of that, David wanted to return the kindness to his son. You know, so it's real interesting uh, the last chapter, he showed kindness to the, one of the sons of King Saul, grandson of King Saul, and now he's trying to show kindness to another son's king, uh, king's son, and one's good and one, one didn't work too well. So it was on David's heart to send a group of people to comfort the king, and that's what it says here. You know, he sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father. So he's going to send comfort to him because of the death of his dad, and probably encourage him, you know, that, hey, uh, everything's okay, Uh, you'll make it through, we're still going to be with you guys, no problem, uh, and everything. So when you have a transition like this, when one king uh, leaves the throne or dies, and a new king comes into office there, uh, you're hoping that all the previous alliances that were made by the former king would still remain. You know, especially if your country had peace agreements with all the surrounding nations. You don't want to disrupt that at all. You don't want to make waves. So by David sending this group of people with a message of comfort, it should normally bring a sigh of relief to the new king. 
you know, that's what you would expect when you see uh, what's, what he's doing here. Uh, but here's where things start to change. Uh, look at verse 3. And the princes of the people of Ammon. So these are some of the, the counselors he has, some of the leaders of the people, uh, advisors to the new king. Uh, the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanun, their lord, the new king now, do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? So they're, they're spreading this now into his mind to say, do you really trust what David is doing? You know. So the princes here, they have misinterpreted David's gesture of kindness uh, they don't have a clue. They're going to the completely wrong direction. They wrongly assume that David is up to no good. Now, have you ever noticed, have you ever had somebody maybe misjudge your good intentions, you know, before? It happens, doesn't it? And no one understands this better than Christ. He said that he didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. But so many people didn't get that. You know, even uh, more people don't get that even today. You know, they don't see that's why he came and they don't appreciate that. So here's the very one, Jesus Christ, who came to save the world and even the religious leaders of Israel who should have known better, you know, they declared him to be a blasphemer. Wow. Uh, look at uh, John chapter 1 in the New Testament. I know a very familiar passage to you. This is a uh, uh, it should be an eye-opener, too, as we think about it from this aspect. Uh, John chapter 1, and if you look down to verse 10 in John chapter 1, it says, He was in the world, this is verse 10, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So you talk about being misjudged. You know, they had the very one who created them, the one who created the entire universe, standing right in front of them, and they said he was operating by the power of Beelzebub, the devil himself. That's the conclusion of the religious leaders. So, wow, you talk about being misjudged. So Jesus understands this better than anybody. So when we go through that time, you know the one to turn to. It's, it's Christ. You turn to him. And, you know, you find a, a lot of times when people misjudge you, the reason they're doing that is because they think you're just like them. So these princes in our passage today, they thought that David was making a sneaky power grab here because that's probably what they would have done if they were in his shoes. You know, people will accuse you of lying because they lie, and they accuse you of some other sin that they do themselves. You know, and the Lord calls the people on the carpet for doing things like that. If you want to look at Romans 2 for a second... The Lord does not appreciate when, when people start playing this game of pointing a finger at other people when, when they've got some issues they need to deal with themselves. Uh, Romans chapter 2, and if you look down to verse 21, it says, You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, 
Do you dishonor God through breaking the law? It says in verse 24, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So the Lord does not appreciate when people are misjudging other people, especially when they've got sin in their own life. And just like that list, you know, it's not uncommon for people to put on you the same character they have on themselves, and that causes them to misjudge you. Now, that's not the case every time, but a lot of times you find somebody says something negative about you, it's because they got a negative thing going on in their life. So, you know, uh, I could see these princes in our passage back in 2 Samuel 10 being nervous because there's a new king on the throne, you know, and how they might have a, a fear of invasion, but they needed to investigate you know, and get some more information before jumping the gun and causing all the trouble that's going to come from their false accusation. And you know, the Lord tells us not to judge others. And when he says that, he's talking about judging their motives. You know, we might see the actions of a person, and if they're, they're really evil things and they do them consistently all the time, then we can pretty well assume this is a bad person. But if somebody does something and we really have no evidence as to why they're doing it, then we're wrong when we try to judge their motives. We can't do that. We can't see their heart. Now, that's what happened in the passage here in 2 Samuel 10. They had no evidence to prove that David was up to something, and yet they accused him anyway. And on top of that, you know, they got other people to believe their accusations. And that's the real danger that usually follows a false accusation. You know, trying to get other people to believe that lie too. Because these princes are thinking that, and now they're trying to convince the king to come on board. Hey, we think this is the way it is, so come on and, and believe it with us, you know. So this is going to backfire for them in a horrendous way in our passage today. Uh, these princes, they read into something that wasn't there at all. And before it's over, 50,000 soldiers will die because of what they're doing. You know, what a hard way to learn a lesson of not judging the motives of others. So go on to verse 4 back in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 10. It says, Therefore Hanun took David's servants, the ones who came to comfort him and encourage him, he shaved off half of their beards, he cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks, and sent them away. So this new king, he decided to humiliate these guys that David had sent. First off, he shaved off half of their beard. So their face was clean shaven on one side and the other side still had their full beard. Now this would be super embarrassing. I mean, we might think, if we saw somebody like that today walking around, we'd think, wow, what's the deal with you? Something must be going on, you know? But we wouldn't see it in the same light that they do. In their culture at that time, especially in the Jewish culture, the beard was a sign of your manhood. So to do this to them was really showing disgrace to their manhood. It was really a mockery to them. You know, and then this Hanun is going to go further. He didn't stop with just that humiliation. You know, he then had their garments cut off so that their bottoms were exposed and they were indecent. And again, he added more to that. He added his finishing touch. He sent them away where they're going to have to pass through the city looking like that before they leave the area. 
So I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of mockery, laughing, you know, and everything else going on. And these guys were just wanting to crawl under a rock somewhere, you know, to hide because this guy really, really humiliated them. You know, for us to understand this, so we've got to realize that the Jewish people at this time, they were adhering to the law of Moses. I mean, David made sure of that. So they were, they were used to living in a very modest society, in a modest culture. So this would have been ultra humiliating for these men, you know. And when Hanun did this to him, he did it to not only shame them, but all of Israel. Now, how can we say that? It sounds like I'm judging his motive, right? But let's see some evidence for this. Look back to 1 Samuel chapter 11, because we see a little story on his dad here, and it tells us something about their culture. You know, if you see a pattern here, it sounds like, okay, then this must be the way that you guys think, okay? So this is 1 Samuel chapter 11, in verse 1, it says, Then Nahash the Ammonite, and that's the dad, that's the first king that just died. Nahash the Ammonite came up and camped against Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. But look at Nahash's response. Nahash the Amalite answered them, On this condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes, and notice what it says here, and bring reproach on all Israel. (laughs) So this Nahash was the father of Hanun, and the stunt he was trying to pull there was to disgrace and mock all of Israel. So this seems to be part of their normal thinking in their culture when they decide to go after somebody. So here in in 2 Samuel 10, when they're doing that to these guys, sounds like they're doing it as a a rebuke and a a humiliation for all of Israel. That's their intent. And we base it on what we see in their culture before. These guys seem to be okay with that kind of stuff. So one big lesson we get from this passage is that we need to be careful in choosing the people we listen to for advice. We'd better not allow judgmental people like these guys to hang around in our life. They will cause major problems if you listen to them. You know, these people are overly suspicious, and and I understand your suspicion, but these guys have gone overboard, and the first thought that these kind of folks have about somebody is always negative, you know, almost always. So it's almost like they're looking for a reason to bring judgment against somebody. And they can find a problem in a person even when it doesn't exist. So don't allow a person like that to influence you. You know, the people we should have to influence our life are those who are very gracious people. You know, those who extend grace all the time. Now, these are the ones you want to give your ear to. I mean, think about this. The Lord has given us so much grace in our own lives, and that's why we should be ready and willing to show grace to others. And please allow me to say that again in case you missed that, because this is so important. The Lord has given us so much grace in our own lives. That's why we should be ready and willing to show grace to others. You know, and the Lord warns us about letting the wrong people influence us. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, I'll just read that to you. It says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good manners. And the Lord is so clear in that. He says, don't be deceived about this. You may think that evil company is not going to have an effect on you. 
But he warns us there very clearly that evil company corrupts good manners. In other words, if you don't think that by allowing evil people to hang around you, that it doesn't have an influence on you, then you've been deceived and you're fooling yourself. And this principle goes even further for us, I think, in our time period. You know, with all the digital media and the radio and television voices and programs that are spewing out evil most of the time, if we think we're, we're not being influenced by hanging around that junk too, <laughs> we're just kidding ourselves. So be careful about who or what you allow to influence you. So back in 2, Timothy, uh, 2 Samuel verse 5, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 10, we're back in the passage verse 5 there. So when they told David, so he now finds out about how he's, his men have been mistreated and humiliated. When they told him, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. These guys were, were super embarrassed. And the king said, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. And Jericho would have been the next town over they could have, they could have stopped in. So David was allowing them to be at a place where they could have a low profile until their beards would grow back. He didn't want them to experience any more shame. David showed them tremendous grace. You know, rather than them having to come back to their hometown and feel any further shame, David allows them to go rest at this neutral place where they could recover and experience healing from this very hurtful situation. And when we've been humiliated by somebody, the thing we need most after that is to experience grace. That's what we need. So these men that had tried to bring comfort to Hanun, uh, they didn't need to march home and have more looks and stares and snide, side, snide remarks you know, made as they're walking around back to their home, even from their own neighbors. They needed to be covered with grace. And that's just what David did. You know, notice this too. These men who went to comfort another were comforted themselves by a man of God, King David. And you and I, we might be the one that God uses to bring grace and comfort to someone else who's been hurt and abused. So stay close to the Lord. So you've got a lot of grace ready to give to those who need it. Stay close to that never-ending source of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to notice here, David did not insistently, instantly right here declare war on these people. I mean, after what the Ammonites did to them, he could have been justified in saying, we're going to go get those guys. You don't treat my men like this. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he doesn't seek that immediate revenge. He focused on taking care of his own men. This is amazing just to watch David. And that's why the Lord shows us this, to, to let us see David's heart and how he, he deals with things. And by doing this, by focusing on his men, he was also giving the people of Ammon a chance to come to terms with what they've done. You know, after they hopefully come to their senses and there, there was a possibility that they might apologize and, and do whatever it takes to make things right. There's a possibility that David gave them time. Unfortunately, though, that's not the direction the Ammonites went about coming to repentance. Look at verse 6. When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, so they figured out what they did and they realized it was really a, a bad thing and it was not a good thing. So when they came to that point, what did they do? 
the people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth-Rohab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and from the king of Maacah, 1,000 men, and from Ishtob, 12,000 men. So they decide to go out and hire some mercenaries, okay, because they're afraid that David might come after them, and they know that David's troops are more powerful, so they're going to hire some armies to work for them, okay? So they realized their actions were foolish, you know, what they did. They made themselves repulsive to David. They knew that. That right then they should have stopped in their tracks and tried to apologize to David and said, hey, is there anything we can do to fix this mess that we made? But that's not what they did. They made matters worse and they increased in their sin. They got other people involved. And, you know, and at the end of it all, they ended up having nations go to war against each other. So as you can see, this passage is kind of like an exaggerated lesson to teach us how dangerous it is to try and read motives. It's like, man, I don't want to do that if it causes this much trouble. So come down to verse 7. Now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and the army of the mighty men. So when David hears this news, he realized he's got no other choice now. He's got to go to war against the Ammonites because they're bringing up armies that are going to be against him. So this is amazing to me that here David is the one that was offended. He did not declare war on them. They're the ones who were going to come after him. And there's something. You know, we can put people in a terrible spot by misjudging their motives. David, sounds like, was not planning on doing this. You know, he wasn't going to do that. His heart was, I want to bless this guy. He's the new king. I want to encourage him, let him know everything's going to be okay. His heart was not to do them damage. That was not his plan. So we can put people in a terrible spot, too, by misjudging them. We may actually push them into doing something they would really rather never do. And that's the last thing that David wanted to do was to go to fight the Ammonites. He was trying to comfort and encourage their king, not go to war against him. All right? Yeah, so verse 8 goes on. It says, Then the people of Ammon came out, and they put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate, and the Syrians of Zobah, Beth-Rohab, Ishtab, and Maacah were by themselves in the field. So this was their strategy. The Lord tells us what their battle strategy was. How do you like this battle strategy that they came up with here? They're going to place their troops in front of the entrance of their gate, of their city. Okay? That way, if the attack was more than they anticipated and they were losing, then their soldiers could retreat behind the gate and be safe inside the city walls. That's what they did for their own army, okay? But look where they put the Syrians, the mercenaries that they hired. Uh, it says they left them out in the open field. <laughs> you guys go out there. So these guys are going to be out in the open, and it clearly says they were out there by themselves, all right? So if someone ever recruits you to join their personal war that they have with somebody else, and they put you out there in the open and by yourself, you might as well give up now before you get embarrassed because <laughs> it's not going to turn out good. You know, it's a bad feeling to be left out there alone like that, if you've ever had that happen. Years ago, I was on a church board, and a guy on the board asked me if I would bring up a motion to vote on at the board meeting. I'm thinking, okay. So I asked him, 
well, why are you not going to bring this up yourself? You're going to be there, right? And he says, well, yeah, it would, I am, but it won't look good if I bring it up first. Because I've got some involvement in this. So why don't you bring up the, the motion? And I, he assured me that once I brought the motion up, he would second it. So then we could have discussion on it with the board. Okay? So I go to the board meeting. It starts. And it's the time where they open it up for any motions and stuff. And I, I bring the motion exactly as he said. He even had it written out for me. So I did it exactly like he said. And when I said that, you could have heard a pin drop in the meeting. Okay? Apparently, this was a touchy issue that was going on, and I was totally unaware of it. And did the second, did the guy speak up and give the second on that motion? No. Never heard a peep out of him. So, man, that was a lonely and embarrassing situation for me, you know, to be hung out to dry like that. So when I confronted him after the meeting and I said, what's up with that? You know, leaving me out there by myself. You know what he said? <laughs> well, I wasn't sure how that was going to go. So when everybody seemed so disturbed about it, I thought I'd just let it die. I thought, wow. Yeah, so thanks a lot for that one, you know. And then I told myself, I'll never let that happen again. Because that was such a bad feeling to me. Wow, I can't believe you set me up like that, you know. And then you left me out there all alone on that one. Wow, so I hope you never experienced that. If you haven't, I hope you don't go through that. But, but it, is, it is a scary experience to be in that situation. So these Syrians are about to find out they're in a tough spot as well because they're coming up against some sharp guys that David has working for him. Now, the original strategy the Ammonites had come up with here, it had some strong points, so it wasn't a, a total foolish thing they did. When Israel showed up for the fight, they're going to find out that they're going to be attacked from two opposite directions, from the city gates and also the guys on the other side. So that could have been a crushing blow. There is a possibility that Israel could have really been in trouble having two different forces coming from two different sides. But the Lord was not going to allow that to happen. So we praise the Lord that he has the final say-so. Huh? I mean, thank you, Lord, that you're there even when we walk into something we may not have been expecting. So look down to verse 9. When Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, once he shows up and I realizes we got troops in front of us and we got troops behind us and we're in the middle. So what is he going to do? He chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. So his decision was, I'm going to take the, the best fighters we have and I'm going to place them fighting these Syrians, these, these mercenaries. So this is his battle strat strategy. And he's decided that these guys are probably, they're, they're mercenaries, so they're fighting for the money, okay? They're, they're probably going to back off easier because their heart really isn't in it, <laughs> you know? And since their heart isn't in, they're probably not willing to die for the sake of money when they can escape and probably keep the money, okay? So pretty good thinking on his part. That's his plan. Then in verse 10, we get the other side of it. The rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, that he might set them in battle array against the people of Ammon. So he's going to send them against the city here, against the guys in front of the city gate. Then he said, here's, his, here's the fulfillment of his plan, if the Syrians are too strong for me, if you see we're having trouble fighting these mercenaries, then you shall help me, tells his brother. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I'm going to come and help you. 
So he's going to send a second battle front line to fight the Ammonites. And he puts his brother in charge of that fighting group. And they apparently made a pretty good team. I don't think he'd want to go against these guys. Remember, they kind of joined up and, and killed Abner before, which is not a good thing. But uh, when these guys go up against you, you better be careful. These guys are sharp. They know how to fight. So this is a pretty good strategy, even though it was a bit risky dividing up his troops. Because when you do that, you're weakening your forces some. So he was willing to take that risk, hoping this plan's going to work, that we're going to start this thing and one of these sides is going to be weaker than the other, and then we can come and finish everybody off and, and survive this thing. So it's a workable plan, and it allows some flexibility, you know, where one fighting group could back the other if it was needed. But what Joab does next is kind of interesting. Look at verse 12. Okay, he's already got this plan set up. But look what he tells them. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Wow. This only comes across as strange because of who was saying it. <laughs> We don't see Joab displaying too many spiritual moments, all right? This is one of the very, very few you see with this guy. He seems to be mainly focused on fighting when we see him, and spiritual things are not usually mentioned by him at all. But for some reason, the Lord lets us see this brief statement that he makes here. And it was a great statement, you know, to say, hey, be of good courage. Let us be strong for our people, for the cities of our God. I mean, you can see... The guy's going, yeah, you know, behind that one there. But then that last statement, may the Lord do what is good in his sight. That's amazing that he would humbly say that, you know. So although it was brief, it was a very good statement. So I guess the lesson is, don't give up on people too quickly. There may be a spiritual spark in there somewhere. So Lord, let us see that with this guy, Joab. So go on to verse 13. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. <laughs> so his guys start the attack, and as they get close, these mercenaries thinking, we're in trouble. We're not going to do this. Let's just go. And they took off. And then in verse 14, when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, <laughs> they also fled before Abishai, and they entered the city. <laughs> So they got scared when they thought, man, our back, our back troops there are taken off. What are we going to do now? We're going to have the full force of David's army coming back at us. So they decide to scoot back inside the city. So what happens? Joab returned from the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. Went back home to finish his coffee, I guess. No battle here today. Isn't that amazing? So look at the situation. <laughs> you had these princes who had come up and judged David's, uh, David's motives unjustly. And now they recruited, they got another recruit they're going to go after here in a second. But here we have David's men who are, are fully prepared for this battle. And it kind of dissolves right in front of their eyes. And what did he say? Basically, may the Lord's will be done. And it was. These guys took off. So fortunately for Joab, you know, his plan worked without a hitch. It was amazing how God pulled that off. So in verse 15 then, when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated. Now, this is the mercenary group, okay? When they saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered together. So now they're going to prepare for war. These are the mercenaries, okay? So again, this situation, 
these princes had come up and judged David, David's motives unjustly. They were wrong to start this whole thing. Now they've recruited you know, the king, and now they've recruited this other group, the Syrians, to join them. And that group didn't have a beef with David until this, and now their pride has been hurt. So look how this evil is spread, okay? Now you just, you have hard feelings between this person and this person as things get going to start with in any situation like that. And they kind of get past it, no matter how clumsy or awkward that went. But now the people they recruited to come on their side and get into that personal war, and this was none of their business at the beginning, now they've been offended. And they want to start a war of their own. I tell you what, this seems to be a pattern that happens way too often. And I think it's one of our enemy's favorite tricks that he likes to pull out of his hat whenever he gets a chance. And this whole thing in our passage is so crazy because it all started by someone trying to read motives. And it was the wrong thing to do. They were wrong. You know, and the people that did that were completely out of the, out of the right way. They didn't have anything here that was correct. David's real motive was exactly the opposite of what these people came up with. And look how this has escalated to this point now. So in verse 16, <clears throat> the Syrians are gathering together. Then Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river, and they came to Helam. And Shobach, the commander of Hadadezer's uh, army, went before them. So these people had their pride hurt, and they're ready to fight now. You know, And to think that all of this could have been avoided if the people didn't try to judge other people's motives. It's no wonder that Jesus prohibits that. And he says, judge not that you be not judged. Wow, it's a dangerous thing to do. <coughs> Excuse me, so verse 17. When it was told David, news came to him, he gathered all Israel, okay, and he's going to take action here. But, but think about this. When the news came to David now, again, he has no choice but to go to battle again, okay? And here's kind of a side note I notice is look at this passage. In verse 5, it says, when they told David. So when that news came to him, that's when he had to go help his men who'd been humiliated. Then in verse 7, it says, when David heard of what was going on there, that's when he had to send his army into battle under Joab. Now in verse 17, when he hears about what's going on here, he's going to have to go fight another battle. You know, I'm thinking that David was probably getting to a point where he's thinking, just don't bring me any more news, you know? And his heart probably sank every time he saw a messenger show up with the latest news about his kingdom, you know? Here comes the paper boy again, and I don't even want to see what's going on. You know, it's nothing good. You think about it, we've kind of been in that spot ourselves for the last week or so, right? <laughs> With everything that's been going on with our country in the news, you almost hate to hear the next report because you're afraid it's not going to be a good one. But in times like these, it is so comforting to know that the Lord is on the throne and he's in control of everything. You know, and I like to remind myself that he knows what's going on even when we don't. So I sure praise the Lord for that, don't you? That he's in control, he's still on the throne, none of that has changed. Now come to verse 17. When it was told David, so here's the news coming again, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, and came to Helam, and the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David and fought with him. <laughs> 
It says, then the Syrians fled before Israel and David killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians and struck Shobak, the commander of their army, who died there. Now look at these lives that were taken. Thousands and thousands of men died because of this. And it all started because someone wrongly read somebody else's motives. Wow. You know, when we push over one of the dominoes of sin, we have no idea how many more dominoes are going to fall or how many more lives will be damaged or even ruined by our wrong actions. Wow, we pray and ask the Lord to help us. Don't let us push over that first domino of sin. And there are some dominoes that we've encountered before that we wish we could go back and undo ever pushing them over in the first place, huh? And boy, the regret from that should stop us and say, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be involved in pushing over these dominoes of sin because they go way too far. But you know, I don't think these princes in Ammon who started this whole mess, who pushed the first domino over, I don't think they even care how many dominoes fell over because of them. And I say that because they never even took the time to find out what was David's real motive in sending his men. They just had their minds made up, you know, that, these are, that David had some bad intentions, and that was that. Nobody was going to convince them otherwise. But those were lost people, you know, so it's normal for them to not care. But we as believers, we should be much more responsible than that. We should check things out before we jump the gun and injure a lot of people. And if we find out that we were wrong, and we're really not these great motive-reading detectives that we think we are, then we need to admit we're wrong and humble ourselves and not let our stinking pride win because so many, can, so many people can lose because of our wrong actions. You know, how, how great a forest a little, kindle, kindle, a little fire kindles, right? So, oh Lord, please put those fires out before we ever destroy a forest of people. That's what we can pray. Verse 19, when all the kings who were servants to Hadadezer, so all these guys who were under his reign and they had their own little kingdoms and served under him, when they saw that they were defeated by Israel, I mean, lost all those soldiers, they made peace with Israel and they served them. So the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. What a hard lesson these people learned not to get involved with people who judge the motives of other people. Wow. You know, God is the only one who can do that accurately. The Bible teaches us that, right? It says, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let's pray. Father, your word is so amazing. And Lord, as you, you show us this sin of trying to read motives of a person's heart, well, we can't see their heart, only you can, Lord. When you magnify that sin for us in this chapter and let us see it up close, it hurts, Lord. Lord, I pray you'd guard us. Help us to say, Lord, I don't ever want to push over that domino of sin. I don't want to damage so many people because I wrongly think I can judge their motives. 
Lord, I pray if we've done something like that in the past and we've caused damage in people's lives, we ask you, Lord, by your mercy and grace that you would show healing to them and allow them to make it through this. We thank you for the strength that you show us in David. He's a man of God and he's able to keep hanging in there when he keeps hearing this bad news and keeps doing what he has to do. So Lord, I pray you'd help us to have that example too in our life that even though the bad news comes and people have done things that have hurt others and us too, that we're able to just keep doing what you told us to do. Keep loving people, keep showing them grace, keep showing them kindness. And Father, today, for anybody who's been hurt by someone in this way, I ask you, Lord, to do a healing work in their heart right now. I pray, Lord, they just surrender that to you, that you, the great surgeon, can do what's needed and you can provide the healing for that. Lord, I thank you for, for how you care for us and you watch over us. So we give you back, Lord, all the praise, all the honor, all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.